Washington State University, and so she moved back to Lincoln. We're so thankful to have her back. Um, we are in our third part of the series, How to Believe in God, and we're going to be in a uh, very foundational book to the Christian faith, which is 1 John. 1 John is... So if you, are, if you are new to the Christian faith, this is a book that I would always point uh, new believers towards because it's very simple and repetitive and uh, straightforward. And um, this is how the book starts. It's a letter to a church. Uh, John, an old uh, guy who had had a lot of experience with Jesus, says this. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Um, I'm going to pray. It's our practice here at Redeemer to spend a few moments in silence just to realize what we're doing. And so part of why we do that is that we want to acknowledge that uh, God is real and here. And we, we want to speak to him as if that's true. And so uh, we're going to spend some moments in silence. And here's what I want you to ask God with me. Ask him to uh, make the, the reality of the incarnation, the fact that he came in human form, uh, mean something to your heart so that it, it changes your life. So that's a, a bold prayer. Let, let's pray. Father, we acknowledge you now, and we thank you for another day. We thank you for waking us up this morning, and we ask now that you would show us what it means that Jesus uh, is God and man at the same time, and that that is the very core of our hope in this life and the next. And Lord, there are so, so many obstacles, so many struggles, so many challenges for each one of us in this room and outside this room when we come to that truth. And uh, I ask that you would knock some of those down for us today by the Spirit, that you would show us that these words that John wrote um, are uh, the conduit by which we um, come to life itself. Um, and so would you do that? You, you are in the business of making dead people alive. And so would you do that right now? In Christ's name, amen. So um, the Apostle John, most scholars think that he's an older guy writing this letter to uh, a church or several churches. And one of the things he was combating was a group of people who their, their ideal, what they said that they believed, was not actually real in their felt experience. There is a disconnect between, in, in some sense, uh, their mind and their heart, the head and their heart. And that later became this, this heresy called Gnosticism, 
Uh, but John is combating that with this church right now. And John is saying in this prologue that God came in the flesh to sort of shatter that disconnection that we all feel between the head and the heart. Between what we say we believe and, and how that's actually lived out in, in your felt reality. And to bring that uh, belief and felt experience together, John uses a word to describe it. He says uh, it's, it's, uh, this union comes together in the fellowship that we have with the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Now, that, that word is probably not the best translation. For our purposes, we probably could translate it today as community. The way that we think about community is the way that they thought about this Greek word koinonia. And community is, is a really big deal to us, um, both inside and outside the church, that we, we really like community. And community has been a struggle over this past year because it's been fractured, right, in our community and in the world uh, because, of, because of COVID. And John says here in our passage that the, one of the reasons why God was manifested in a body was to have community with you. Was to, to be uh, so close to you that, that you kind of, you knew him. Like in your experience. So again, our series is called, how do, how do we believe in God? Christianity says you have to start with the assumption that God wants to be with you. Every single one of us has problems because somewhere in the past, most of our problems stem from somewhere in the past, somebody didn't want to be around us. Uh, somebody, we didn't feel like we belonged. And the incarnation, God becoming flesh, speaks right into the heart of that greatest struggle that we have. Uh, and it's what the human body and soul were meant to run on, that God, God enjoys you. And your reciprocation of that is to enjoy him back. And when that happens in a human being's life, the testimony here is that you come alive. This is why this book was written, so that those who believe in the name of the Son of God may know that they have eternal life. That's the purpose of the book. And we're going to look at that by kind of weaving in and out of how uh, the reality of our experience and the, the revelation of who God is come together in the person of Jesus or uh, the natural world and the supernatural world come together in the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, we'll weave in and out of that. Uh, the, the reality, the incarnation. Okay, so like the incarnation is a big word, but what that means is that the God of the universe loved you and loved his people so much that he came into our world to show us that in tangible form. Uh, he, in essence, he showed us what heaven was like. To our felt reality. He was, uh, as the Apostles' Creed said, he was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary. And just the fact of it, if that's true, that's the best possible news that we could imagine. But we are Western modern people um, who start from the assumption that things like that, like miracles, and this would be the pinnacle of miracles, are just kind of a silly idea. That's, that's sort of our uh, gut assumption, and this is the testimony of the gospel that there, there is and was a God-man, and it's in him that every human being must look for joy 
or any sort of lasting pleasure in this life or the one to come. And so if that governs your life, what's going to happen is that that at best is going to be laughable to most of your family and friends. And at at worst, it's going to be offensive to others. The fact that the reality uh, of Jesus is, as John Stott says, he is the historical manifestation of the eternal. There really is something about um, the, the physicality of an experience for us. This is, this is why phrases like Zoom fatigue exist for us right now, because we're, it, the virtual nature of it is uh, tiring because it's not how we were made to function as human beings. Like God knows that. And so that's why he humbled himself to come in, in bodily form. And multiple, multiple times I've, I've used this illustration, but this will help, I hope. Um, and it breaks down at points theologically. But if you give me supernatural powers and you tell me to communicate to a fish, the most natural supernatural way to do that would be for me to become a fish so that I could communicate to the fish in a very basic way uh, we're the fish okay Um, this is what God does with us he humbles himself by clothing himself in humanity uh, in bodily form and that's what our passage is about John is basically saying look I experienced Jesus in every sense, every felt sense that I have. That word, we touched with our hands, that, that in the Greek it means that you come upon something in the pitch black dark, like as if you were blind, and you handle something. And you're like, oh, okay, th- this is what it is. John had laid on Jesus' chest. He, he had lit- literally handled Jesus' body, and he's saying, this, this is real. Um... This church that John was writing to had gotten caught up into this sort of ideal knowledge, this sort of religious uh, idea that you about, about religion. And what they were doubting was that Jesus was a human being. And, and John is saying, don't let go of that. That's the gospel, that he's, he's the son of God in the flesh. And he's saying, church, it's real. I was there. I touched him. And and his testimony was so powerful, like his witness to to Jesus was so powerful that people that knew John willingly were fed to lions, like Polycarp. Polycarp was one of John's disciples. And because of testimonies like this, he's like, I I will die for, for Jesus because of what John said about him. We all live based upon somebody else's testimony, by the way. But this is what the incarnation means, that human beings were able to touch heaven as real as you could touch a baby in a manger. And uh, I am convinced today that, you know, the question for us, as as I listen to people, both inside and outside that church, the question isn't, do you believe that anymore? Um, I think the question is, do you want to believe it? And, and here, here's what I mean by that. You, you may say, well, you know, I'm trying to believe, but I have a lot of questions. 
Uh, I have a lot of problems with the church. I have a lot of problems with Christians. I have a lot of problems with evangelicalism. And uh, with, with all due respect, and I do mean that word respect, anyone that has ever experienced in their own life the reality of Jesus is not ultimately turned off by their objections or by the hypocrisy that they experience within the church. And here's the reason why. It's because there is nowhere else to find life. It has been manifested to them that this is the source of life and there is no other. Where else are you going to? It's like Peter. Like, you know, Jesus says all this crazy cannibalistic stuff to Peter. And, and Jesus looks at him and is like, you going to go away too? And Peter's like, where, where am I going to go? You're the only where to go. That's, that's the desperation cry of what it means to believe in God. That Jesus is where life is. That's what's repeated in verse 2 of our passage. That this is what was manifested in Christ himself over and over again. That he is from God, the God of life. And in Jesus Christ, that is where life is. Everywhere else is death. You know, the Apostle John, like I said, he's an old man writing to this church at this point, most scholars think. And he, he, if you read it, if you read it through, he talks like an old man. Like it's super repetitive and it's real simple. And I, I have gotten the great privilege to talk to old men and women days before they die who belong to Jesus. And they actually do talk like this. Uh, one of them was uh, the father of, of Mary, uh, Gretchen and, and Heidi. Um, and I got to ask him, I was like, what do you think it's going to be like? And he said, I think, and I've shared this with some of you, I think it's going to be like falling into the loving arms of Jesus. And we can sit here and think that's kind of delusional. Uh, but that, that man was a professor of biology at UNL. Not a dummy. He's a... a, a Expert at the hard sciences of our world and secular institutions. John knew what it was like to be in the loving arms of Jesus, the apostle. And John is getting ready to die. And this is his testimony and proclamation to this church. He says, I am not making this up. He struggled just as much as we do. Just because he was a not a modern person doesn't mean that they didn't have doubts. And he says, this is real. <laughs> it was manifested to me. And it's as miraculous as it sounds. Look, if, if this is true, th this is uh, one of the reasons I love Christianity. If this is true, there is no trying to be a Christian. You either believe or you don't. Uh, you remember when Yoda was training Luke to be a Jedi and it was hard and Luke was like, I'm trying. And Yoda said, there is no try. You either do or don't. It's probably, um, this is probably, I don't know, four years since I've been here now. One of the most difficult things to convey to, to Midwestern culture, specifically Nebraska, um, that Christianity is not about doing a little more. 
nor is it about stopping doing an action that's destructive in your life. That's not what Christianity is about. Jesus has not come to rearrange our morality. He's come to tell you that you are dead without him. But if you do know him, you will walk in the light and you will have joy that's hard to express. Christianity is never ever about your performance, but it's about his performance. And belief starts when your attention gets off of yourself and onto him and what he did. Let me emphasize that Christianity is not about what you do, but what he did. That's the core. Every problem that you have with the gospel has flipped that around. You begin to focus either too much on yourself and your righteousness or too much on your sin. And Jesus says, focus on me. Here's how you know if uh, you've come into community with Jesus. Um, you stop trying. You stop. Not because you stop caring, but because you begin to actually believe that your doubt, your anxiety, your failures uh, are incapable of keeping God's love away from you. Just, just as much as it was incapable of you trying to keep the incarnation out of the world. You can't do it. He's coming. That's when his love for you starts to become real to your heart. And it's, again, it's as miraculous as the incarnation for God to begin to reorient your heart towards him so that you begin to have joy in him. What are some more signs that this is taking root in your heart? It's uh, when your anxiety and your objections about it all, they don't, they don't go away, I don't think, fully in this life. Maybe they do, some of you can tell me, but they, they grow quieter. And what begins to be louder and more dominant is this sense that God's eternal pleasure is going, it's going to overwhelm you. It's going to overtake you. That's what etern eternal life is not just quantitative. It's not just duration. It's quality of life, too. It's a type of life. Verse, if, that's got to be what verse 2 through 4 mean. Eternal life means an experiential, perpetual, intoxicating, cognitive, and, and emotional joy in God himself. Christianity either means that or it means nothing at all. And most of us try to exist between uh, that truth and calling the whole thing a lie. And what, what that allows us to do if we exist in between is it allows us to keep our life the same and nothing changes. And what John is saying is don't stay there. Make my joy complete by diving deep into Christ himself. This is the type of people we want to be at Redeemer. We want to be a community that is constantly being changed by the gospel. One pastor said a relationship with God for him is, is like this. It's like I'm in this really big cold house and there's always a fire going in the fireplace in this house. And a lot of times if I stay by the fire, I, I get warm, but more often than not, I, I drift away and, and I get cold. And the only way to get warm is to go back to the fire. And the point is, 
the, the same fire that kept me warm at the beginning is going to keep me warm now and keep me warm at the end. And that fire is always going. It never changed. Look, I, I know that every single one of us in this room has hangups with God's love in our life. We have many doubts. And I know in your head right now, you may be struggling to think about this as opposed to, I mean, any number of things, food, marathon, uh, the problems in your family, those things just seem more immediate, more important, more, more real, frankly. But John is saying there is no lasting and complete joy unless you center your whole life here, unless this governs all. And when that happens and you experience just a little blip of it, it will feel like you're in sync, not only with yourself, but with God and the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, it's like obeying the law of your own being. That the message of the gospel is that Jesus is God, but that he was also a human being. He taught us how to be human again. And what he was saying is like, I've come to sympathize with you for sure. And I'll be a listening ear and a chest to lay on But more than that, I am the very giver of life. And again, you may, like an objection to that, you may say, you know, just because this message was revealed to a particular region and a particular culture and says you must believe in it doesn't mean that everyone else is wrong. Uh, And many times when people walk away from the faith or do what many people say, deconstruct the faith in their life uh, today, what actually happens is that they, act, they actually just moved away from home and out of their culture and out of the realm of this sort of constant message that they received growing up. And they, they realized that it was never true to begin with. There's no deconstruction. It's just a realization of what was always true. And it feels like when that happens in somebody's life, it feels like freedom, a conversion of sorts. And here's the problem. They never had community with God to begin with. That was in any way real. The ones who, and this is the irony, like you see it in in the person of Jesus when when he's doing his earthly ministry. The very people that you would think would be close to him are the ones that are repelled by him. And the ones that seem far away from him are drawn and attracted to him. And that's the essence of the incarnation. That God inserts himself and invades our life, especially when we, we don't want him in there. We, he's unwelcome. And he says, I'm coming. And that's a challenge to those, you know, belief in God is a challenge to those inside and outside the church, and here's where it starts. Are you, are you desperate for life? Desperation for life is where you must start with belief in God. That's when Jesus shows up. That's when he can warm you up. Um, we're going to talk about this more because we're going to stay in First John uh, a bit, but th- this is something that we need to think about as a church and, and how to 
how to minister to one another, but also how to minister to those uh, who've left the church and who, who may want to come back, by the way. Um, almost always, these dear friends who have left the church were very deeply hurt by pastors or, or parents or someone very close inside that community who claimed to be in, but really failed to display this sort of incarnational love to them in particular. And they're mad. Because those who claim to be in the right disappointed them so much. But underneath that, what tends to happen with us is that we get angry because we look to people to give us life and they were never meant to do that. Simply put, we're mad because people aren't Jesus. And this can be a very crucial time when we realize this because we will, we will either believe in God and run towards Christ at that moment or we'll believe in something else that's people-based. And unfortunately, when, when that happens, we switch out worldviews that's very different on the surface, but in, in the end, it's, it's the same. It may look different in terms of religious commitment or political persuasions, but in the end, it's, it's people-based and merit-based, and it's no good news at all. And here's the gospel. Here's the good news. That there's a God-man. And that's where belief starts. And we're all so prone to selfishness that God had to rip a hole into earth and into our hearts and show us exactly what it was like to be a real human being. He had to rip it open. And if the gospel is true, this is what Christianity means. That I, I am so self-focused and fear-driven that I will do anything to make myself feel better. And one of the most ugly ways I do that is I separate the world up into good and bad people and I put myself on the good side. But God was gracious enough to save me from that toxic lifestyle. So I don't have to live in an ideal world of good people because there aren't any good people. That's why Jesus came. And one of the main ways, and we'll end here, one of the main ways practically, and you see this in 1 John, that this begins to work itself out. One of the proofs that this is at work in your heart is if you have love for people that don't want to be around you. That if you pursue community with those who are against you, that you begin to embody this incarnational way of life that's going to require sacrifice. You see, if, if, that, if there's just a part of your heart that's open to your enemies, you already have joy that can't be taken away from you. Because it's eternal. If you love those who hate you, you are reenacting the incarnation and your belief in God is being manifested in your life, which is what the church is called to do. God came to be near his enemies so that he can make his enemies his friends. This passage teaches us that Jesus brought the real and the ideal together in his very body. You see it really clearly, just exactly how he did it at this table. 
And we can have community through that, through him. We can have true community. And I will say this, uh, we live in a world that talks a lot about the idea of grace, the idea of love. But when it comes right down to it, this is the root of how that gets played out. This is the power. This is, this is the God-man who showed us how. And this is what we have to do as a church. This is where belief starts, that God became man. Uh, and he loved us. He loves us so much. So let's pray, continue to worship. Um, and uh, I'm going to give a few more details before uh, the service ends on the congregational meeting. So let, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your son Jesus and the fact that you uh, miraculously came into this world.